We are in a permanent crisis. This is the word for 2022. An extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. So you thought you'd come to church this morning to like really be encouraged. I'm going to talk about permacrisis. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Um, but this is the state that we've been living in for a number of years now, isn't it? We you know, it began with a health crisis. Well, you could argue there was probably things before. Um, but that's rolled into a global energy crisis, a cost of living crisis, a political crisis, an environmental crisis, a mental health crisis, a drugs crisis, a trust crisis. And I think that what the world needs now, arguably more than ever before, is a church that lives up to its calling. Followers of Jesus that take follow him following him seriously. That's not to say we can't have fun along the way. Romans 12.2. The book of Romans was written by a guy called Paul. and He was writing to the church that he had helped plant in Rome, shockingly enough. Hence, it's called Romans. Um, and he says in Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the message translation uh, puts it slightly differently and says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Possibly uh, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be totally countercultural, looking entirely different from the world around us. Be transformed to be like Jesus, to think, to live, to work, to act, to behave, totally different from those around us. Uh, The Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' closest friends and apprentices, no, I said Paul, I meant Peter. I get confused with the puzz, there's quite a lot in the Bible. Um, He says in 1 Peter 2.11, we are like aliens and strangers living in this world. Will we embrace looking slightly different? I know there's such pressure to blend in and to be, um, to be like everybody else. For those of you that were here um, a few weeks ago, I showed a Where's Wally thing. You know, it's okay to be like Wally, to stand out and be different. Um, Paul, another one of Jesus' apostles and um, followers, said, said, shine like stars in the darkness in Philippians 2. 15. Now is the time for us as followers of Jesus to shine in the darkness. This is the moment to do different more than ever, perhaps. What does it mean and look like for us to be different, to swim against the tide, to not conform to the pattern of this world? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at, you know, loving God and how we're going to do that differently in 2023 to how we did it in 2022. Um, and we've looked a bit at worship. We've looked at a bit our, at our reading our Bibles and getting plugged into that and how we're going to do that differently or um, how we're going to continue doing it so that we can be different. Um, an author and pastor who I love listening to his podcast, a guy called Steve Cuss, he says this regularly on his podcast. He says, Uh, We can't read or listen ourselves to change. There has to be action. And so don't don't get me wrong. I love love reading books. I love listening to sermons and podcasts. Um, I love listening to people. And we can do all of that, but we can't read and listen ourselves to change. We have to put one foot in front of the other to to see real transformation. 
So if we want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, to be like Jesus, then we need to do life differently. Differently from how we might have done it in the past, but significantly differently to the rest of the world around us. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture around us, as Paul said to the Romans. So the next few weeks, we're going to look specifically at different topics of how we can do those things differently, how we can be different in our workplaces um, and how we use social media. Do different, like think differently about our mental health, our friendships, our relationships. So it might be that you don't want to miss the next few weeks because I think there's going to be a lot of really good stuff. But in light of the climate that we're living in, we are all living in, I want to talk this morning about a subject that Jesus talked about almost more than anything else. He spoke more about this subject than he did about faith, heaven and hell, prayer and love. In fact, I think the only subject he talked more about was the kingdom of God. And that subject is money. Um, A subject that is probably on the minds of many of us. You know, we are immersed in the cost of living crisis. We were just chatting yesterday about the cost of food. You know, I love Aldi, except I miss the Isles of Wonder because that causes me to spend more money. Um, But the cost of food has increased significantly, hasn't it? We're all living in this place. You know, it might be that until recently, we didn't necessarily need to budget that carefully. And now we do. It might be that we've always budgeted carefully. And now we have to budget even more carefully. For those who are already struggling, it has got harder. And money is something that is never far from our minds, but as a culture, we never talk about it. You know, it's the great taboo of our time. We can talk about, and we would probably put on Instagram if we're Instagram sort of people, you know, things about maybe our diets or our exercise regime. You know, we'll happily talk to friends over a meal about our in-laws or um, our ailments or even our sex lives. But we very rarely talk about money, about what we earn and what we owe and what we give away. But that is not Jesus' example. Jesus talked a lot about money. So two two things up front, just to let you know. Firstly, um, some of the material that I'm going to quote I got from um, two different um, pastors and friends of mine, a guy called John Wright and a guy called Chuck Freeland. Um, They're very wise and I... Um, yeah, so I've taken some of this stuff from them. And secondly, um, this isn't a talk, I'm telling you now, that climaxes with, and this is our bank, co- bank account details, and this is our sort code, and if you haven't got a standing order then to us, then please will you do that right now before you leave the door. That's not the plan for this talk. That's not the trajectory we're going on. So um, just to let you know, so you can breathe and go, okay, I don't have to pay to pray to be in this church. Um, however, the disclaimer, I can see... Um, a couple of trustees in the room. Um, I'm not talking now to any guests or any visitors. If you are on a journey to decide whether you're part of this church, please ignore me now. But if you consider Chelmsford Vineyard your church family and you don't give financially or you've maybe had a pay rise since you last looked at your standing order or your giving, we would really encourage you to do that. Because we think, and as you'll see as I talk over the next few minutes, Um, Part of our discipleship of becoming more like Jesus is honoring him with our finances. So I'm going to leave that there. Money is probably on all of our minds, as I've already said, a concern for all of us, and it evidently was for Jesus. 
You know, he talked about money, um, even in the context of teaching on forgiveness, the nature of God, uh, what the kingdom of God looks like, uh, loving our neighbor, um, God's heart for the, the lost, planning, salvation, and trusting God. Whenever he talked about any of those things, there was always an element um, he was, where he was talking about money. Um, when Jesus was challenging the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, um, on their misplaced worship, he talked about money. He told parables. He talked about uh, the rich young fool, the lost coin, uh, payments of talents to workers, the merchant who sold everything for the sake of a pearl of great price. Jesus talked about money. It might be surprising to us, actually, how much he mentions it, but it would, it's worth asking the question, why? And I believe that the primary reason that the greatest teacher who ever lived made money, one of his main topics of teaching, was quite simply because money is the number one rival to God for the human heart. You know, we have been created, we have been designed by God, and we are desire-driven people, aren't we? That's God's design. And God invites us to desire him, to look to him for our fulfillment, to have our greatest needs and desires met. Our desires, our security, our significance, our identity, our happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment and all be found in him. But yet, if you look at most marketing and advertising, they will say that that is not true, and we need to come to those things to have our desires and our dreams and to find our identity. You know, money says, if you focus your life on me, I will give you security. Buy the perfect house in the perfect neighborhood, and you'll be fulfilled. Pay for the best education and become the person you aspire to be. Earn a lot of money and you'll have what the world calls financial freedom. You want that inner peace? Well, apparently you can purchase it with an American Express card. Money promises the desires of our hearts. And as I've said, we are desire-led humans. That's how God created us. You know, we'd like to think that we are rational, thought-through beings, uh, which is the biggest lie that the Enlightenment ever told us, that we have bought hook, line, and sinker. But the truth is, those promises are hollow. If money bought happiness, then the happiest people in the world would be those with the most money. Yet, um, a recent study of lottery winners um, showed that, that found that beyond the initial celebration and the winnings of large sums of money, um, money actually didn't have any significant long-term positive effects on the, winner, on the winner's happiness or mental health. In fact, it showed that if those people were unfulfilled in life before, then money really didn't fix that problem. It only exacerbated it. <coughs> Some of you will have heard of uh, Jim Carrey, an actor who... I don't know if he's been in any films recently. He felt like he was in a lot of films when I was a bit younger. But um, he, he has, has spent most of his adult life struggling with depression. And he said this, I wish everybody could be rich and famous and get everything they'd ever dreamed of so that they could see that it really is not the answer. Only God can give us the desires of our hearts. 
give us security, fulfillment, identity, freedom, and peace. And if we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, if the church of Jesus Christ, which is us, is to be set apart and live differently, then all of us who are gathered here in this room or maybe listening to this talk on Spotify later on, we need to do our money differently. God must have first place in our hearts. So assuming that money is the number one rival to God for the human heart, which has first place in your heart? Today I want to look briefly at a passage in Matthew 6. Um, It's part of Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to flip it open, check I'm not making all this up. Um, Or if you've got a phone, swipe um, and find Matthew 6, uh, verse 19. I'm going to start at... (coughs) It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The 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 eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is dark, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the first thing Jesus is asking us to consider is where is your treasure? Question number one, where is your treasure? Matthew 6, do not store yourselves up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then that's kind of echoed in Luke 12, 33. Jesus says, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that isn't, will not be exhausted. You know, we can read these verses and we can think it's talking about us being totally selfless or we can spiritualize it and make it seem like it's a spiritual pursuit. But I believe from, from what I've heard and what I've read that this is exactly not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about financial generosity. Jesus isn't saying don't use your money in ways that won't benefit yourself personally. Not at all. He is most definitely talking about our treasure being our money. You know, some teachers and pastors will use this idea to create an expectation of generosity that you will sow into their ministry, that you will give them your money, and then you'll be guaranteed lots of money in return. To be clear, that teaching, which is known as the prosperity gospel, is a complete diversion of the truth of what Scripture is saying and of what Jesus was saying. Yet the Bible does clearly teach that when we follow Jesus, when we walk in his footsteps, it will turn out better for us if we do. And it's the same about money as it is for every other subject that he talked about. Handling our treasure God's way 
as he reveals through the Bible, is going to result in blessing for you and I. But crucially, we need to start investing it or storing it in the right place. You know, this was particularly relevant for Jesus' first hearers because many of them did store their coins under rocks. They, wasn't, they didn't have bank accounts. They did literally store them under rocks. The parable of the talent, one goes to bury it to keep it safe. That was a standard practice at the time. Um, and I had read somewhere, and I'd been led to believe, that coins were bronze, and if you did bury them in the ground, they'd rust. But then when I Googled that to check it, apparently bronze doesn't rust. I wasn't very good at science at school. But anyway, but people, clearly under a rock is not very safe, is it? Um, if someone, if one of our children did that or someone you know did that, you'd probably go, uh, that's not very sensible. Don't, don't put your worldly wealth under a rock. In our house, don't even put it in a money box because generally the money box gets lost. So, um, <coughs> sorry, that was a slight digression. Um, Jesus is asking, where is your treasure? Where are you investing your money? You know, on earth, things are temporary. In heaven, things have eter are eternal. You know, things on earth, there's often two problems with the things that we own, right? One, they decay. Like, I don't know about you, cars, homes, there's always something to fix or something to mend. Like, boring. Um, <laughs> um, I, I've got to keep to time. I won't tell that story. Um, but also, things are temporary, aren't they? Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. He was the first person ever to have reached a personal fortune of a billion dollars. At the time of his death in 1937, his personal fortune in today's money was a few hundred billion dollars. And after he died, someone asked his accountants, oh, how much did he leave? His accountant very wisely said, he left all of it. You can't take anything material with you when you die. Um, there's a guy who wrote a book, a, a guy, Randy Olcorn, wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. And in it, he, he builds on the Rockefeller's accountant's comment. And he says, Jesus takes the profound truth. You can't take it with you. But he adds a stunning qualification. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. <coughs> We can send it on ahead by investing now in the kingdom of God. You know, and we can't fully comprehend what our experience of heaven will be like, but it will be far richer if we invest in the kingdom of heaven now. Not only just our experience, but our, how we use our money will affect people's lives around us, both now and eternally. So as a church, we have Grow Baby, and if you don't know what that is, we'd love to tell you about it. But that is investing in the kingdom. The money that is given to us as a church, and we do get some external funding, we invest it now in the kingdom of heaven. Not only clothing people physically, but creating space where people can come and experience the love of Jesus. You know, some of the most exciting stories that Pip shares with me are often... Um, yes, where we've been able to give clothes to people, but it's where people have come in need and the team have gathered around and prayed for them and they've experienced the presence of Jesus in a way that they never have before. Um, outside of this context of our church, we've got some friends that are planting um, a church and they have already planted three churches 
um, and they're, they're going again. Um, and they felt that this was absolutely what God had asked them to do. They were moving slightly further south to a new city, more expensive because it was closer to London. Um, they had managed to get their daughter into school to start in this. This is in September 2022. Uh, the biggest hurdle they had was that they had no home. Because they're serial church planters, they don't have any wealth behind them particularly. Um, they'd lived in rented accommodation or in the last place that they'd lived, they um, lived in a, an old Methodist manse for a small rent. Um, and um, at the end of June, um, they were both, our friends were at a conference and they were speaking on multiplication and church planting. Um, because those of us that are around them are really excited. Like God's asked them to go again, to plant another worshiping community in a different city. Like that's brave. They've really heard the Lord. Um, and, and we were interviewed, they were being interviewed and they were at their lowest possible ebb because they were like, it feels like we've got all of these ducks in order, but we have nowhere to live and we can't afford. Um, they'd looked around some houses to rent that were in their price bracket and they were horrible. Um, and they were just like a family of five with a small dog. What are we going to do? They were at the end of themselves. And, um, and uh, Steve tells the story of how he was sitting there and he's kind of hiding at the back of this room because he just didn't want anyone to come and ask him again, oh, have you found a house yet? Because he was just so depressed by it all. And he saw this couple coming towards him who um, <coughs> he kind of vaguely knew and, uh, and he just knew that they were going to say, oh, have you found a house? And, um, and they did. They walked up to him and said, oh, have you found a house? And he was like, no, no, we haven't. And they were like, oh, that's really good to hear. He was like, I just wanted to punch them. <laughs> um, because actually this couple had got some capital money, capital that they were looking to invest. And they just said to him, um, we'd love to buy you a house. You can live in it just for the cost of the utilities um, and your budget's half a million pounds, go shopping. Like, But literally, like, because these guys, they, they are, are treasure, they're, they're treasurers in heaven. They're investing in the kingdom of God. The, this other couple can go again. They can plant another church in another city where there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that don't know Jesus. And as a result of that, these people are now meeting with people that don't know Jesus. And they're, they're, in fact, they are meeting today for their second time. Um, but their daughter was able to start school in September, um, which is just a short ride away from where they've got this new house, which is just incredible. That's investing the kingdom. Doesn't that raise your faith? Doesn't that make you excited? I, like, I heard that story and I was like, ah! <laughs> like just amazing. You know, we, we're here, we're all involved and, and we all have a little. I don't, I don't know that many of us are millionaires in the room. If you are, feel free to come and chat to me later. Um, but we all have a little and we can invest in God's kingdom and he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine with that money, with that treasure. So where is your treasure? Where are you going uh, to invest it? The second thing, I will hurry up. Um, <coughs> verse 23, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The focus of our heart determines the kind of person that we're becoming. You know, we tend to think 
that if someone's heart is captured, their money will follow. And that is sometimes the case. You know, guy meets girl, falls in love, starts spending money on them. Um, I think my best present from Graham ever was when we were just going out. His, his money followed his heart. Um, that's a bit harsh. I don't mean that to be harsh. I love my presence, Graham. He's not even listening, I don't think. Um, <coughs> uh, but Jesus tells us the opposite dynamic is also true. That our heart goes wherever our treasure goes. You know, if you, if you were to invest, uh, like this is not something I would do, but maybe some of you in the room would. If you were to invest m- money in shares in a company, um, I bet you'd find your allegiance to that company would grow. You know, you'd suddenly be more interested in how they're doing, you know, keen on what the latest product is, celebrate what it is that they're doing on the stock market, if that's the right way around. Um, You know, it's that natural consequences of investing money in something. Suddenly, it has more of your attention. You know, and Jesus says the same is true with the kingdom of God. If we invest our treasure in the kingdom of God, something happens in our hearts. We get a vision and a passion for the purposes of God. Where our treasure is invested, there our heart will be also. And then Matthew, um, Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp to the body, and your eyes are health- if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light within you is, dark- is darkness. How great is that darkness? Like, you could read that and think, what? Like, how does that fit into this whole section? Suddenly, we're talking about treasure and investing it in heaven, and, and then he's talking about your eyes. Well, this is a Jewish idiom, um, and we have to assume that Jesus knew exactly what he was saying, um, and he put it in here. He's talking about investing our treasure, and he doesn't just go on a random like, like tangent about our eyes. Um, he's inserted it purposefully because he's talking about money and possessions. Um, if you've got a Bible that has footnotes at the bottom, you might see that um, where it says healthy and unhealthy, um, it often uh, it's understood to mean generous or stingy. Um, the Jewish idiom all hinges around the fact that they used to say, if you've got a good eye, it means that you're really generous. If you've got a bad eye, then it means you're really stingy. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying here, he's using what the people around him would have heard, would have known, and he's applying it to the kingdom of God. If you're generous, if you have a good eye, your whole body is full of light. You are walking in light. If you have a bad eye and you're stingy and mithery and Scrooge-like, then, it doesn't say Scrooge in the Bible, um, then your whole body, you're walking in darkness. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is, you know, when we're stingy, when we're focused on money and material things, we will walk and live in darkness. And yet we can have a choice to focus on the things of the kingdom. We can grow in generosity. You know, Jesus talks a lot about that. You know, Tim Keller, who's an author, um, he says, you know, we can get a generous eye and then we can walk in the light. You know, we can start to see opportunities to invest our treasure in the kingdom, whether that's blessing friends or neighbors or church or mission organizations, those in need. And we can get to the point where that just becomes so naturally who we are because our heart is for Jesus who are you becoming 
we would do well to pay attention to the focus of our hearts. Okay, and finally, um, where is our treasure? Who are we becoming? And who is our master? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. No one can serve God or money. Jesus boils it down to the most basic of all choices. Who is our master? Will the major influence of my life, of your life, be God, or will it be driven by our money and possessions? We can't serve both. Some some um, translations use the word mammon. It's the idol of money, the love of money. An idol is something that takes the place of God in our hearts. You know, will we worship and submit to mum, to money? I don't know if any of you have watched The Lord of the Rings. I'm guessing you'll have heard of it, if, at least if you haven't watched, watched it. Um, and there's a ring that holds immense power, particularly for Gollum. He's seeking the ring, the precious. <coughs> he's seeking it, and he, he's so driven by it that he becomes unrecognizable from his former self. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, sorry. It's <coughs> <coughs> doing quite well, wasn't it? Gollum's desire for the ring, it rules over him. It controls his decisions. It impacts every part of his life. Obviously, that's quite extreme. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that we're like Gollum. <coughs> um, but I think it does capture something of what Jesus is saying here. That when money and possessions are our focus, they have a mastery over us. We lose the freedom which Jesus intends for us to have. And we often become people we don't want to be. <coughs> so be aware and beware that money doesn't become our master. If you have said yes to following Jesus, to surrendering your, surrendering your life to him, then he wants to be involved in every single part of our lives. He is our provider and sustainer. And he's a far better master than our bank accounts. You know, our relationship with money is significant. And it, money is a great servant and a terrible master. And we can and have the ability to do differently our money. And I know that this is an incredibly challenging climate, climate that I'm speaking into. We're all facing financial challenge. And it is a difficult subject. <coughs> Particularly when I can't get a sentence out without coughing my guts up. Um, 
And if you are here this morning and you are worried about your money, you're worried about how you are going to find food or heat your home, if you are concerned about your income and your accommodation, then we, we want to pray this morning with you. And we would love to do that. But also, we as a church, we support CAP in Chelmsford, Christians Against Poverty. Um, Alison, who's the centre manager there, she, um, I'm sh- we would be able to put you in touch with her so that you could talk to her about getting some um, free confidential debt advice and money management support. And if I had longer, and I know I've talked for a long time already, um, I'd love to talk more about debt and tithing and the joy of giving, but that's a whole other series that we'll have to schedule in for later on in the year. But let's not be ashamed to talk about our money. Jesus talked about it a lot, and we can follow his example. Let's not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in how we handle our money. Where is your treasure? Who are you becoming? And who is your master? My prayer is that we will really become people who handle our money the way that God designed us to. Because that is absolutely the best, best path that we could take. And I pray that we won't ever be so gripped by the power of money that we can't do and give all that God has asked us to. So let's not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed.